Irish Nation. The Irish smashed the Stanford Cardinal to get to 11-1 and on the season. We delayed this recording to get home from Thanksgiving travels, and really right as we were about to hit record on the show, well, the Notre Dame football world has started on fire. Major breaking news. Brian Kelly is reportedly gone to LSU. He's, he's officially informed the team. And every other headline in otherwise what we thought was going to be a really enjoyable show is now entirely focused on the Brian Kelly news. That's right. Truly shocking news. Some of the most shocking news I've experienced as a sports fan in quite some time. Um, we're going to quickly cover the Stanford game because the players on this team, they deserve re- recognition for an absolute thrashing. But the rest of the show that we had planned is scrap. We were going to cover Notre Dame bowl tie-ins, path to the college football playoff, and coaching carousel news, such as how the, the Lincoln Riley hire by USC won pack ND. We'll come back to those segments in future shows, but with the Kelly news, we ha- frankly just have to focus on that for the show. And before we get to that Stanford game, just a quick preamble on, on Kelly and, and what we'll cover. He's the only coach that's been at Notre Dame during my, you and my friendship. He, he started our freshman year. His first football game coaching at Notre Dame was the game where I met uh, my now wife, what wife of the podcast, Ann. And so this is an emotional one. This one runs deep in friendships, in family. He's He's been here for 12 years, um, frankly, my entire adult life. So sad, frustrated, optimistic about what's to come, anger, just all sorts of emotions. And, and this podcast is designed to not be emotional. We're here for straightforward, analytical-based takes, no hot takes, down-the-fairway assessments. So we'll do our best best but to be clear you know head coaching hires are nuanced they're not always analytical there's no advanced metric for this so we're going to diverge away from the analytics and just talk about this but certainly shocking news that i think caught everyone by surprise definitely um yeah for me kelly's the only coach that i've known as a notre dame fan i came to uh notre dame 2010 as a freshman wasn't a fan before that so he's uh he's all that i've ever experienced through the highs and the lows um, I truly thought he was going to end his career at Notre Dame. So um, this all happened really fast. Earlier today, there was a, a ping on my phone, just said LSU's looking at Kelly. Um, didn't really think much of it. Fast forward literally a couple hours later, and it was essentially a done deal. So, um, yeah, still, as Brett said, we're still processing like this ourselves right now. Um, but anyway, I think it is important that we, again, remind ourselves how fun this season was. We went from what looked like it could be a seven or eight win rebuilding year to a just thorough dismantling of the November schedule. Uh, yeah, I mean, to get to 11 and one, it, it's just been a blast covering this team for our first season, um, in this podcast. Uh, we said this last week, but again, huge thank, thank you to our fans for helping us get to this point. If you haven't already, please go on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to the show and subscribe. Follow us. Get those automatic downloads. It really does help us. And then also drop us a review, rate us, tweet us. It's been a blast going through the season with each of you, and we, we love all the support we've gotten. All right, with that, let's dive into the Stanford game, and then we'll get back to all things Brian Kelly-related and, and the now vacant Notre Dame head coaching position. You know, where where your name is brought up is where they probably want you to look so you're not looking where you should be looking. Um, it's a smokescreen. It's just, you know, this time of the year where, you know, Throw names out there so people don't look where they're supposed to look. 
45-14. And that was closer than it really appeared. This was actually 24-0 to at the half. Stanford generated just two first downs in the first half and just had no answer for Marcus Freeman's defense. And then Jack Cohn did the rest. And he finally scored on his opening drive, something that Tom Reese hadn't done since the Toledo game. And from that point, Notre Dame just didn't look back. Yeah, we, we had very brief recaps following the Navy and Georgia Tech games. Really, in, in these blowouts, there's there's not always a lot to learn, and, and the same applies to this game here against Stanford. So we'll quickly run through the advanced box score numbers and highlight a few individual efforts in this game. Starting with the box score, this was a beatdown, about as sound of a victory for Notre Dame in, in the advanced metrics that we've seen. Notre Dame's success rate on offense was 58%. For context, that's second highest success rate on the season for the offense. The one area where Stanford did succeed was they generated a fair amount of havoc. The Stanford defense generated havoc on 22% of Irish plays. Again, an, an offense wants that number to be in the low teens. Defenses want to be in the high teens. So for Stanford to generate 22% of havoc, it, it did disrupt Notre Dame's offense. But Notre Dame's explosiveness was just too much. We had five plays over 30 yards in this game. We moved the ball at will. You know, So about two-thirds of the time when you're having success plays and you're combining that with big chunky 30-yard completion, 60-yard completions. It really just carved up Stanford in, in, in the big play game, but both running and passing really all night. Yeah, Brett, you mentioned Havoc. I would mention, uh, also mention, from that standpoint, Stanford won the line of scrimmage. Uh, Notre Dame had just two and a half line yards per rush. Um, that's how much push is generated by the offensive line. And he generally wants that number in the low threes. So two and a half is definitely below average and certainly below um, how, we, how we had been doing the last couple weeks. Um, so anyway, Stanford came into this game getting just getting gashed in the running game. Um, however, what they did here uh, is they completely sold out to stop the run and, and did a pretty decent job of that. But the downside of that was that they exposed their secondary in the process and Cone picked them apart. And then on the other side of the ball, I thought this was really where this game was decided. N- Notre Dame's defense was the best unit on the field. Stanford's offensive success rate in this game was just 26%. Again, offenses want that number to be in the high 40s. So only one in four plays was Notre Dame, uh, sorry, was Stanford successful. And, and again, success rate means getting 50% of the yardage on first down, 70% of the yards to go on second down, and, and converting 100% of the yards to go on third or fourth down. So only one in four plays were they able to successfully stay on schedule. And then maybe the most ridiculous stat we've seen all year, Notre Dame's defensive havoc rate of 31% was higher than Stanford's success rate of 26%. So Marcus Freeman's defense was relentless. They were getting more disruptive plays uh, where we were moving Stanford backwards than Stanford was having successful plays moving forward. That is something we have not seen this year. It's statistically very rare to see and, and just shows how dominant this game truly was for, for the Notre Dame defense. Definitely, yeah. I don't think we've ever seen a game where the defense's havoc rate was actually higher than the offense's success rate. So that means Notre Dame's defense was moving Stanford backwards more frequently than Stanford was actually staying on schedule. So just total domination against a, a lesser opponent. Second takeaway, key pl- uh, so some key player highlights. Let's start with the defense. Great night for the Adam Alola brothers. Maybe, hopefully hopefully not, but uh, potentially the last time they'll play together. Both graded out at 82 and 79. Those were the two highest grades on defense, and each actually uh, recorded a sack. Um, and then, the, and then the secondary also played great. I don't, um, I don't really understand the, the pro football focus grades that had Clarence Lewis at a 73 and, and Tariq Bracy at 68, and then also Cam Hart at 65. I thought they were, uh, I thought they were phenomenal, and all should have been in the 80s. Collectively, they were targeted 13 times, 
gave up eight completions for a total of 30 yards. 30 yards and eight completions. That's that's pretty impressive if you ask me. They only allowed one completion longer than seven yards and zero missed tackles uh, from them throughout the game. Yeah, great, great night across the board on the defense. Thought the defensive line, as you highlighted, was getting all over the place, and the secondary just didn't give up an, an inch in this game. On offense, no surprise, some really solid grades. 11 players graded out at 69 or higher. Uh, Kyron Williams and Lorenzo Styles were the only starters with grades less than a 69. Again, 70 or higher is considered high-end college starter. Um, so pretty much having your entire starting lineup above that high-level college starter, really great performance. Josh Log led the way. He had a pro football focus grade of 91. He was joined by Cade Madden at a grade of 83. So offensive line, another great night. And then Jack Cohn, we've, we've been praising him now for the last uh, month and a half continues with another great game a grade of 79 adjusted completion percentage was 82 percent we highlighted this stat the last few weeks adjusted completion percentage uh basically throws out uh drops and and throw away in completions anything in the 80s is really elite the leading passer in the country is at 83 percent in this category cone at 82 percent in this game he's been over 80 percent i think now five weeks in a row so his accuracy has just been uh, absolutely phenomenal here in the second half of the year and, and just really continues to master this faster tempo offense with Tom Reese. Definitely. Since the bye week, it's been as good as we could have hoped for from Jack Cohn. In terms of other guys that we missed, Kyron Williams. So not, not a great, not a great grade in this game, but, uh, as we mentioned, Stanford clearly set out to stop him and, uh, he's still got 94 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns. Buckner, uh, looked good in garbage time. Pro football focus grade of 83. Uh, again, that's an elite grade. Uh, and another thing, Mike Mayer, he set the ND single season record for receptions by a tight end. He goes for over 100 yards in this game, which is notable for a school like Notre Dame, which is, uh, tight end, tight end U. So, um, continuing to climb up these, uh, these leaderboards at the tight end position. And then, and then we have Kevin Austin, pro football focus grade of 78 and around to 125 yards in the night. Um, most importantly, Austin's last drop was against USC on an early third down. Uh, he's someone who's flagged as an inconsistent performer earlier on, including by this podcast. Um, and he's proved us, uh, proved us all wrong lately and been Mr. Consistent down the stretch. Fifth straight game with a pro football focus grade of 70 or higher. Yeah, really, really pumped to see Kevin Austin come into his own as, as a leader in the passing game. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. We, we were hard on him and, and, and wasn't sure if he was really that go-to number one receiver. He's played like it. And that, that's been really fun to see that for a guy who's battled injuries in his career, battled trying to break through the depth chart, now really coming to his own as a senior. Just special to see. On score predictions for this game, shout out to Jim. He had the closest prediction in our Twitter contest. And Mike, both you and me successfully guessed Notre Dame would cover. That moves me to 9-2 and two against the spread. So drinks on me as, as I continue my run in Las Vegas. And then Mike, shout out, man. You, you predicted 43 to 15. So oh, so close to getting that perfect prediction of 45 to 14, but well done. You, you definitely had the best pick of the week. Second time. So that's the second time I've been, uh, just narrowly dialed in, picking the score exactly. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe, maybe I'll get it right for the bowl game. Um, okay. And then I guess, uh, one other thing to add in our next show, we're going to go through season grades by unit. Uh, a recurring theme for this team is the midseason improvement. Um, we talked about the shift in the offensive scheme a lot. Really, the uh, meteoric change in trajectory on the offensive side of the ball. The stat that we talk about the most is, is success rate. So how often do you stay on schedule? 
That means 50% of yards on a first down, 70% of yards on second down, then 100% of the yards on third and fourth down. So basically getting the first down uh, when you have a third and fourth down play. Uh, if you have a higher success rate than the other team, that means you're generally going to win football games. Have a great matters too. Explosiveness matters. But those are the equalizers. Success rate is the biggest factor that wins football games consistently. And Andy's offensive success rate in the first six uh, weeks of the season was 39%, uh, which was 102nd in the country. Uh, however, that jumped to 50% in the last six weeks of the season, which is good for 12th in the country. Uh, again, you know, we get it. No, no Cincy or Wisconsin in the back half, but that is a ridiculous improvement by Tommy Reese in the offense. For sure. Huge, huge storyline for Notre Dame this season. It's a great foundation. It, it seems like Marcus Freeman has kept this a top 20 defense really start to finish throughout the year. The offenses were really needed to improve from beginning of the year to where they are now, and, and they did. And so, whether we get into a New Year's Six Bowl, whether we get into a college football playoff appearance, really no matter who the head coach is on the sidelines next year, um, you know, pending some real catastrophe, there's a really great uh, foundation for this program going forward, which is a great segue into our next segment where we've now got to discuss the breaking news that Brian Kelly is no longer the head football coach at Notre Dame. Other than retiring from your current profession, could you see yourself leaving Notre Dame of your own volition? No, no. Unless, uh, unless that uh, that fairy godmother comes by with that, you know, two hundred fifty million dollar check, I'd my wife would want to take a look at it first. <laughs> I'd have to run it by her. The coaching carousel. We we had prepped for this show. We were ready to hit record, and we did have an entire segment on whether or not Brian Kelly would leave, and our resounding answer was no. And then we were going to talk about if Marcus Freeman might leave, and the answer was maybe. And then we are going to talk about the impact of Lincoln Riley's hire at USC and what that might have done for Notre Dame. And all of that is thrown out the window. The news of the day is Brian Kelly. Of course, a few weeks ago, he has the infamous quote that it's going to take a fairy godmother to offer him $250 million to do anything but retire at Notre Dame. And it sure looks like uh, LSU maybe didn't come up with $250 million, but they might have gotten close, and Brian Kelly is out the door. He's gone at ND, and he will be announced likely tomorrow, uh, as we're recording this podcast, the newest head football coach for Louisiana State University. Yeah, unfortunately, this is a done deal. Kelly already informed the team that he's leaving. Um However, I think before we kind of get into this a little bit more, it's, I think it's it's good to take a step back and, and kick things off and take scope of what what actually led to this moment. So Brian Kelly, he's been rumored to be a top choice over the last few weeks. Um, so that leads to questions in press conferences, um, reporters asking questions about job openings, things like that. Uh, Kelly actually, uh, as Brett mentioned, had a joke two weeks ago that he and his wife were building a new house for, for near campus and that it would take, yeah, like $250 million to get him to consider something with his wife. Um, and then... Right after he said that, uh, you start seeing these big contracts start rolling in. Michigan State gives Mel Tucker, who really had has had just one good year at this point, and uh, got handled pretty badly by Ohio State near the end of it too. Ninety-five million, ten years, fully guaranteed contract. Uh, then after that, LSU not only swings and misses on Kelly, they had actually reached out to him earlier about a month ago. He turned them down. They got turned down by Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher, and then most recently, they made a really big offer to, to Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley turns it down, uh, shocks the world, goes to USC. 
Um, his deal is, is rumored to have topped Tucker's worth 110 million. Ten years fully guaranteed with all sorts of perks. They're apparently getting getting him a six million dollar house in L.A. He gets his family just gets full access to a, a private jet 24 seven, which is no small sum. Um, yeah, just loaded with all sorts of incentives. So these these contracts keeping bigger and bigger. The Lincoln Riley moves just uh, like that higher just breaks, and then uh, you're hearing rumors that LSU is desperate. They don't want to look bad. They got to get the coaching hire right. They're willing to spend more money than maybe even USC was. Yeah, I mean, then it just keeps boiling. Then you start hearing uh, rumors about about uh, Brian Kelly uh, potentially get, receiving interest from LSU again. It just all came together really fast. Yeah, and then, I, I think the the big thing there too is just how desperate LSU was at this point in their searching process when Tennessee a couple years ago went through the Jeremy Pruitt fire and, um, you know, couldn't come up with a, a searching hire. And, and a bunch of people started turning them down, right? They they didn't get their first option. They didn't get their second option. And they were scrambling. And all of a sudden, it's Josh Hupel from UCF is, is the guy takes the job. That looked really bad for Tennessee. It led to decommits. It led to boosters wondering what's going on. And so these programs, you know, both at the college and professional level, when they are ready to make a hire, they they already know the person's accepted. So the fact that a month ago LSU had rumored interest in Brian Kelly, the fact that they had rumored interest in Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, they had rumored interest in uh, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, who then went to USC, and none of those came to fruition. It was starting to look like, what the heck's going on in Baton Rouge? And so I think that desperate... Um, that desperation definitely played a role. And the other side of that is what's going on at at Notre Dame. And and so I think in the college football landscape, it's what just unfolded in the last 48 hours with Lincoln Riley, what just unfolded in the last two weeks. At Notre Dame, with Brian Kelly's relationship, I think it was a longer boiling point, almost simmering to the surface. We talk about this on the show a lot. Recruiting has always been a sticking point between Notre Dame and, frankly, all of its football coaches, going back to conflicts with Lou Holtz, uh, where the administration has very real admission requirements. They, they bend those requirements a lot, but only to a point. And, and we've quoted this number a lot. It's, it's out there from Pete Sampson and, and other folks that have done interviews around the program that in any given year, roughly two-thirds of the top 100 recruits typically can't be recruiting. And then the other side of that is Kelly wanted the university to make a lot of investments while he's been the head coach here. And usually that's been a drawn-out negotiation Usually it's only after rumors of Kelly maybe looking elsewhere and getting other job offers does does he then get the negotiating leverage. So the Jumbotron, the turf, stadium renovation, upgrades to the indoor practice facility, all those things took time and were slow to get around. And then we've seen rumors for Kelly continuing to push for more upgrades, a bigger budget for coaching assistance, a bigger budget to renovate the Goog, a bigger budget for mental health and performance coaches and and the universities consistently kind of pushed back on it so i think when you combine the recruiting struggles when you combine kelly having a lot of success but maybe seeing the writing on the wall maybe seeing that he is a step behind bama he is a step behind these elite programs um combine that with a really big payday from lsu where their last three coaches have have won i think that's what kind of led to this perfect storm yeah agreed um Kelly's legacy, as of now at Notre Dame, you know, it's been, it's been great coach at Notre Dame, brought us back to relevancy, 
Um, however, he's not getting a statue because he hasn't been able to get us a national championship. And I don't think that was going to change at any point. That's always that's always the standard to kind of be considered one of the elite coaches at Notre Dame. Um, and Brett, as you mentioned, I think all these factors have kind of been building. Like you said, it's just um, at Notre Dame you have to you have to really like push and claw to try to get these concessions from the administration. Um, and he's been able to do it, but he's had to like like you said, he's had to leverage uh, like the Philadelphia Eagles potentially offering him a head coaching job. Uh, you know, other, other job openings that came up. And actually, when this news first started to break, I think both of us thought that this was just going to be a way for him to potentially get more investment from the university, get pay raises for himself and his assistants. Uh, it's poaching season. I made a comment. I think this timing could potentially work out because people are going to be coming after Freeman. Kelly's going to be able to get the administration to, to pony up more cash to keep someone like him. But, uh, unfortunately, it seems like Kelly is, uh, I think his goal is certainly I have to win a national title at some point in the next 10 years. My legacy at Notre Dame, a great coach who doesn't win a title, that's not what I want it to be. I want it to, be, I want it to replace that with a coach who um, is a great coach who also wins national titles. And that's that's certainly what he's going for at LSU. Um, as we mentioned, Notre Dame, it's tough to make a lot of these changes. We've gotten a lot better over the years. We've made all these improvements. We're definitely not at the level of Alabama and LSU in terms of like program investment. But comparing that to where LSU is, uh, they essentially have unlimited resources for their football program. They're willing to make, we've talked about the salary a little bit already, but they're willing to make Kelly the highest paid coach in the country uh, by a pretty good margin. Uh, this is a fully guaranteed, it's early reports, but it's a fully guaranteed contract uh, that will likely end with him in his 70s. The early reports say 10 years guaranteed with uh, with well over $100 million, including incentives. Some early tweets are saying potentially $15 million a year. So for context, if that if that sounds like an insane amount of money, that's because it is. Uh, if everything else stays constant in the American sports landscape, no more like pay raises. Presumably there will be pay raises from other coaches. That would make him the second highest paid coach behind Bill Belichick, uh, which is nuts for that's, that's crazy amount for any coach. That's particularly crazy for a college football coach. So I think Nick Saban salivating it at the pay raise he's got coming. (laughs) Definitely. Some of these guys are going to be getting pay raises. I know if I'm an NFL coach who's had some success, if I'm Sean Payton, Andy Reid, apparently Andy Reid is, is making less than Brian Kelly. If I'm if I'm Andy Reid, I'm like, okay, come on, I'm I'm a successful NFL coach. Uh, you you got to give me more. But um, to not digress too much, I once I saw what the dollar figure was, it made me feel a little bit better. I don't know that Notre Dame should be getting into 150 million dollar potentially guaranteed contracts over 10 years. That is like very as good as Brian Kelly is. That's uh that's a very risky proposition. The buyout for this would be would be insane. Um. Now, moving on to what that actually looks like for Kelly when he's coaching there. Um, the SEC is not an easy place to win in. Uh, LSU certainly has been one of the teams that's been able to do that. But you got in the SEC West, you got to play Bama every year. Um, however, the last three coaches that LSU have won national championships. Uh, so, you know, Les Miles, Ked or- Coach Odron, those are, those are, uh, and then Nick Saban before that. So they do have a track record of winning titles. Um, and it's, it's debatable how good of coaches Coach O and, and Les Miles are. So if they won one, Kelly certainly seems like a good enough coach to where he would be able to replicate that too. Notre Dame, on the other hand, this is a stat that is uh, quite painful to point out. The last five coaches at Notre Dame, including George O'Leary, uh, his, his brief stint, have won zero national championships. So I think it's a combination of those things that led to today, led to today. just Kelly having to claw continue to claw to try to get these concessions from the university and then perhaps feeling maybe he was feeling better about Notre Dame's prospects but um feeling more more optimistic about his odds of winning a title at a place like LSU because certainly if he wins titles at LSU 
I think that becomes his legacy. If he wins a couple titles there, he'll be he'll be like the great LSU coach who had that long stint at Notre Dame. Um, which is I, it's crazy after all he's done that it just kind of gets flushed down the toilet. I agree. I, I saw a tweet um, on Twitter. Wouldn't Kelly rather win one title at Notre Dame than multiple titles at LSU? I don't know. I just think he wants to win one title. And when we lost against Alabama last year, the entire post-game media conference that got so blown out of context was really boiling down towards Bama has more talent. And it's a huge gap. And that's why we're a multi-score underdog. And that's why we lose by multiple scores in those games. And same for Clemson. And same for Ohio State. And same for all the other big games. There's just a big talent gap. And whether or not Kelly could have closed it, could have closed that talent gap, could have recruited better, or whether there's just inherent limitations at Notre Dame that no one could close that recruiting gap, doesn't matter. Brian Kelly saw that his chance at getting to a title was closing at Notre Dame. It hadn't happened in 12 years. It had slowly gotten better, but there was still a huge gap. And what really concerns me in that, again, so for Brian Kelly, I get it. Good move. You take a bunch of guaranteed money. You go to a super well-resourced place where the last three coaches have won a title. I, I get all of that. Good for Brian Kelly. I see it. What concerns me is the perception of what this means for the Notre Dame program, that if the winningest program uh, winning as coach in, in, in program's history, bails on the program, whether it's reality or perception, bails on the program because Notre Dame can't get there. Notre Dame can't win championships anymore. And just to be 100% clear, I do think Notre Dame can win championships. I do think Kelly and Freeman and Reese were moving in the right direction and we we're breaking through on recruiting and, and, and we were slowly getting there. Nothing to do with independence, nothing to do with NBC, no, nothing to do with all that other stuff, but just the recruiting challenges in Notre Dame. If that perception is why Kelly left or why we never got over the hump with Kelly, and then he does go and win a championship at LSU, I think that really hurts the program long term. I think that hurts who we can recruit. I think that hurts who we can retain for coaching. And and this might not be viewed as the holy grail of college football jobs anymore. It might be viewed as just another job. It might be viewed as Nebraska or Miami, or just a, another job of a program that's waffled. And so all the more reason why I think this is a really critical hire for Notre Dame to get this one right, stay relevant, keep winning 10 games a year. And I think we kind of got to hope Brian Kelly fails, um, or or it's going to be a judgment on Notre Dame and not on Brian Kelly. Definitely. Um, I think every... I mean, any blue blood in particular, uh, any, any any like nightmare scenario for them is their coach getting poached by another uh, top tier program, and that, that's happened twice. That's happened twice in the last twenty four hours, basically, um, which is pretty crazy. I know we were kind of like we were talking about Oklahoma and how, how crazy that was, but um, yeah, I mean, I think if, if coaches, if these coaches see an opportunity. Uh, to p- potentially uh, upgrade their chances of winning a title, potentially upgrade the amount of money they're making. Even if they uh, have like well-established roots, they've been there for a long time, it seems like it, it, you almost expect them to leave um, it, it, You know, if, if, if everything is kind of in the works uh, to just make it that much easier for them. Um, and yeah, I do think Notre Dame can win a national title. And I do think Kelly thought that he could win a, a title at, a, at, at Notre Dame, but... Um, with LSU, it is it is frankly just easier. Um, the progress that Kelly made over ten years, I would imagine he thinks he can he can probably achieve that in just a couple years. You know, he doesn't have to deal with uh, he, he has the full pool of recruiting talent. We've talked about Notre Dame's recruiting potential. 
you know, what, what, what could it be, uh, when they're optimizing it? And we landed somewhere around top five classes are possible. Maybe, maybe top three classes, but getting the number one class, that's something that would be a very hard proposition in entertainment. LSU, if you get, if you get that humming, it'd almost be expected that you would get top three classes every year and you'd have the potential for a number one class in many situations. So, um, all of this is, all of this is working in, in Kelly's favor. So it makes sense. And then, of course, like we said, the money. So, that's uh, it's it's hard to turn down that much money. It's it's a life changing amount of money. Um, Notre Dame, we had given him some extensions here and there, but uh, I don't think we'd be willing to give him uh, ten million or ten years guaranteed, essentially. Um, but yeah, so again, shock, shocking that it happened. When you take a step back and look, uh, I mean, I, I get why he did it. Um, doesn't make it any. It certainly does not make it any easier. And I'm with you, Brett. I think we got a roof for him to fail. If he if he doesn't do well there, then maybe that. Uh, in, relative to Notre Dame, makes us makes uh, LSU look n- not quite as good as a program. It makes us look perhaps more of a legit marquee program compared to the others. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned recruiting. So before Coach O won a championship, it wasn't clear that he was going to stick around LSU, right? He was on the hot seat going into that season. And despite being on the hot seat, his 2018 recruiting class was number 15. His 2019 recruiting class was number five. So like LSU can have a football coach on the hot seat and a number five recruiting class would be the second best that Notre Dame's done since recruiting rankings were around number third best. Um, so I, I think that's a big reason why, why Kelly left and, and, and you mentioned the money. So the next question that, that we wrote down that, that we wanted to talk about the timing of this. Notre Dame's got a legitimate shot at a college football playoff, depending what happens this weekend. If if Cincy loses, Michigan loses, Oklahoma State loses, Bama loses, we probably only need two of those four games to happen. And Notre Dame is almost certainly getting in, or in the very least, a part of the conversation in a very, very real way. So why not wait? Why, why not? Why not wait to see if, if Kelly's got a shot at a championship or not? And I'll kick it off, but I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. I've been texting with friends and family about this question a lot tonight. To me, coaches never make these decisions based on their current boss or employer. Kelly's not making this decision in terms of what's in the best interest for Notre Dame or, frankly, for LSU. He's making this in what's the best interest for him. And that LSU job is is not staying open, and it's not staying open because early signing period is on December 15th. And so in 15 days, LSU needs to put together a recruiting class. And to do so, they need a head coach. If you don't have a head coach, you're not getting recruits to sign. And so um, this job is open today, and it's not going to be there in a week. And I think that exploding offer nature of this um, is is what really pressed Kelly to do this. Now, the flip side of that is Brian Kelly's a jerk or not loyal or whatever else. But I just tend to say in, in these situations, it seems like every time the coach leaves um, you know, at the worst possible time in the middle of a bowl season, in the middle of a conference championship game, in, in the middle of whatever, offensive coordinators are leaving when their team, you know, Nick Saban is, is in it, in the, in the hunt for a national championship. So this sort of hiring timing is, is always an issue. I, I don't really blame Kelly for it. I think it's just the nature of the business, but Mike, here's your thoughts on this one. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think, if you put yourself in these coaches' positions, they've already, you know, they've already moved on to their next job. If they, if they already know that they're going, they're going to do whatever possible to make sure they can be as successful um, as they can. And one way to do that, like if Kelly, 
essentially gave LSU his word that he would join them after he finds out if we're in the college football playoff or, or if we make the college football playoff, you know, whenever that's over. Um, and they were like, okay, fine. Like, you know, you, you can join afterwards. Essentially what that would mean is the recruiting class would, uh, would be much worse than if he joined, uh, immediately, essentially. So he's coming in, you're already a little bit behind. Um, and then you'll probably just naturally not have as much focus for the, uh, for, for like the, for the games that you have coming up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think from that standpoint, yeah, it makes sense. He's going to try to optimize what he can do with LSU. And then like Brett, you said with these exploding offers, um, they're going to do whatever they can to, to maximize the recruiting class and like get, get kind of get on track as quickly as possible. Um, I wish, I wish there were some, some rules to this where, uh, you know, you could just, you couldn't hire someone between these dates or something like that, but that just doesn't exist. It's pretty much the Wild West. And again, when you're cutting uh, checks that could be as high as $150 million, um, you're not going to be thinking too much about uh, your former employer, which is a shame. And this and this is, I mean, this is what happened to, to Cincinnati when we, we took Kelly uh, uh, 10 years ago, essentially, back in 2010, 11 years ago. So we've been on both sides of this. And we may, we may, we may be on the other side of this, uh, soon if we hire, if we hire a coach from another, uh, another, uh, head coach from another top program. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to candidates in a second, but I think you're onto something. I mean, on that point, if we hired Luke Fickle in the next two days or started interviewing very seriously Luke Fickle and he's distracted and he's missing practices and there's rumors flying and his players are worried, doesn't that make it more likely for Cincinnati to lose? next week and then Notre Dame slips into the fourth spot so there's all sorts of um, scenarios where where this goes our way the other element is I I mentioned the early signing period of December 15th that's new that that rule is four years old and it's really accelerated these coaching hires when the signing day was in February and you couldn't sign before then it removed a lot of this pressure to make hires right now but as it stands these programs need to make hires in the middle of uh, conference championships in the middle of bowl selection, in the middle of the final college football playoff rankings, because it falls right on top of this December 15th signing day period um, that, that starts in a couple of weeks. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Mike, you were texting me a lot about this. I'll, I'll let you kick this one off. But the, the next question we wrote down to discuss, how will this coaching change impact recruiting for Notre Dame? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously it depends a lot on the new coach. Um so, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And a lot of it's tied, yeah, a lot of it's tied to who we get. I think in the short term, obviously chaos is certainly never good for recruiting. You have these relationships that are built up. There's, there's going to be assistance that we lose, um, whether it's they follow Kelly or the new guy that we bring in, uh, brings in his guys. So I do think generally in the short term, probably pro- not, good, not good from a recruiting standpoint. Um, however, if we, if we get someone like Freeman, he may be able to, uh, stop some of the bleeding a bit. Um, but, and then if we get, if we, if we hire someone who's just like an ace recruiter, you know, I mean, long-term, if we get like Urban Meyer, for example, you know, that's a name that makes a lot of Notre Dame fans cringe, but someone who is certainly about is, uh, as, as, as ruthless, I guess ruthless is probably the right word here, ruthless, uh, recruiter as anyone out there, um, long-term that would certainly, uh, help your, help your odds. I think one benefit with the way that Notre Dame recruits is, we tend to sell, and I, this is true for a lot of programs, but I think it's particularly true for Notre Dame. We really sell the school. We really sell the program. Um, we really sell the camaraderie. And so uh, as opposed to Oklahoma, where a lot of the program's identity was tied to Lincoln Riley and his ability to really 
lead that program, uh, provide the energy, develop players. Um, I think that lends itself to maybe us being able to have some guys stick around. They didn't, they didn't commit just because of Brian Kelly. Whereas for Oklahoma, it seems like a lot of guys did, uh, did commit just because of Lincoln Riley. And you've seen some rapid decommitments in, in the last couple of days. Um, one other factor, I think one thing we've always complained about a little bit with Kelly's, he had gotten better with it in recent years, was that he was not as involved as a recruiter. Um, so maybe his, his relationships aren't actually as critical to some of these recruits. Certainly, I think recruits are smart enough to know that there's a lot more uncertainty here, and that'll impact it. But um, there probably aren't as many recruits that were very, very close with Kelly. And, uh, you know, there's just like him leaving. They'll just like follow him wherever he goes. So I think I think that's like another factor here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the key ones here, it's really just the chaos. It's like which coaches are staying, which ones are going, how that's going to, how is that going to affect the relationships? I think we need to, we need to make some sort of decision here fast because even just like an interim coach now near signing day, I don't really, that's, that, that'll really hurt recruiting. Um, recruits want to know who the head coach is. If we're just, if we're just hanging around with someone for a couple weeks, I imagine we're going to lose a couple guys we're not going to be able to get back. Yeah. Just, just to layer on a, a few, th- things I jotted down as, as you're writing there. In terms of what assistants might stay or go, Brian Pullian and Mike Elston have been with Brian Kelly for a long time. They're also two really big recruiters for Notre Dame. I could see those guys leaving. To your point on Brian Kelly, I, I get in this argument a lot with, with friends and family about whose fault is it on why Notre Dame can't be top five recruiting. Is it Notre Dame and the administration and the standards we have in place on academics, that tends to be where I fall out uh, on, on this question. Or is it Brian Kelly? And, and Brian Kelly got a lot of shade for not being a front-running, you know, coach-facing recruit. He, he really let his assistants do a lot of that over the years. I do think a part of that was he knew the pitch to the candidates that Notre Dame, to the players that Notre Dame attracts, is Notre Dame. They want to come play for Notre Dame. Um, and so... In some ways, I agree that that really helps us right now. And I never saw that as a knock on Brian Kelly. I saw that as just the nature of being the recruiter for Notre Dame as you're selling Notre Dame, not yourself. And I thought he did a good job of that. But certainly I see the the other side of it. And I think all of this is on a spectrum, right? None of this is binary. It's a little bit of everything. Um, one specific example of who we could lose, and and, and we really don't want to speculate on, on individual recruits, but... C.J. Williams, he's our biggest wide receiver commit in the 2022 class, number seven overall, sorry, number 75 overall in his recruiting class. He's from the L.A. area. He goes to Modern Day High School. That should sound familiar to where Rex Fluger went on the basketball team. Clarence Lewis, Joe Schmidt, our Heisman Trophy winner from back in the day, John Hort. So a big feeder school for college sports. C.J. Williams is the next great name to come out of that program. He was allegedly already on the fence when the Lincoln Riley news broke that he might be waffling towards USC. That almost certainly becomes a more unstable situation with CJ Williams' commitment now that Brian Kelly is gone. So one example, um, I'm sure there's many others. I'm not going to try to predict which recruit stays or doesn't stay um, with, with their commitment, but certainly I'm going to be tracking Tom Loy really closely in the next few days. Tom Loy is the Notre Dame recruiting analyst for 247. So he's my source for all things Notre Dame recruiting news. And I think tracking this class in the next 16 days to early signing period is going to be a huge storyline. Yeah, definitely, Brent. And I think one, this is a, it's not a perfect data point, but I think we could look to the 2016 on the heel, you know, right after the 2016 season, uh, with that recruiting class, uh, horrible season, 
looked like there was a chance Brian Kelly might get fired. We kept him, which was a good decision, but uh, really not an ideal uh, time for recruiting. And that was not a great class by any means, but it did. It uh, I, I can't remember the exact rankings, but given the s- situation, it held up uh, enough to where um, it didn't really cause much long term damage. And actually, we had a lot of hits from that class. We had a lot of over, a lot of like three star diamond in the rough type guys. Um, so. Again, it'll be interesting to see how uh, – it's kind of like – in many ways, it's almost like the opposite of that. We're losing the coach, but then the program is actually in a really good place. So uh, I'll be curious to see exactly how, how this how this, uh, how this this wins out. Um, yeah, but again, Notre Dame's a top 10 class right now, right? I don't think our goal is to stay top 10, but what you really want to see is for this class to still stay in the top 15, right? There will be somebody. I don't know who – in fact, we're number four right now. Um, someone will decommit. I don't know who, but someone will. And your hope is it's one or two, and this still holds together as a top 15 class. Then maybe go and use the transfer portal. And that's another part of this. Transfer portal is a big deal, right? We've already seen a number of current players. Lorenzo Styles, for example, tweeted, shaking my head, dot, dot, dot. Um, so there's a lot of guys on the current roster you need to worry about not going into the transfer portal. So roster management is going to be really important. And I think the goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to just keep as much of it together as you can, um, which is a great segue into our next question. What's next? What, what do we have coming our way in, in the next few days? And we've said this now, timing's critical. There's two obvious reasons. One is recruiting. We, we just talked about that, holding this class together, get to the December 15th signing day. The other is we still have a season to play for. Um, Notre Dame isn't out of the college football playoff. Certainly, I think this impacts the way the committee would think about giving us a spot with an interim coach um, or a newly hired coach. But that might also be the same for, say, Cincinnati if we get Luke Fickle. Um, and then regardless if we make the playoff, we're in a New Year's Six Bowl. And Notre Dame hasn't won a major bowl game um, in 28 years. So imagine if the new coach comes in and wins this first game. Their, their first game at Notre Dame is winning a major bowl game for the Irish for the first time in 28 years. That is a huge storyline to be playing for. That's a huge storyline for Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director, to get this right out of the gate, to get this right quickly. So I think the biggest thing is that timing is critical. This needs to be done in the next you know, three to four days, week at the most. Um, and, and that's going to be tricky given some of the candidates here that, that we'll get to in a second. A lot of them are coaching this week, right? Luke Fickle at Cincinnati is, is top of the list for, for everybody right now. And he's got a game to coach this week to try to get into a college football playoff. He might not be taking interviews. And so then you need to say, do I wait on Fickle or do I go to my second candidate? And that's going to be a really, really huge question. Jack Swarbrick's getting paid a lot of money to figure that out. But he's got a very short window to quickly turn around and make some magic happen here. So, Mike, that transitions us to our next question. Who's who's top of the uh, candidate pool. What's the criteria for this job for Notre Dame? In terms of criteria, you always hear Swarbrick. Certainly when he hired Kelly, the top of the list was someone needs to have uh, head coaching experience. Uh, the only exception here would be a highly qualified internal promotion. Um, so I, I think any highly touted defensive or offensive coordinator, uh, I think, frankly, that's off the, that's off the table. Notre Dame's just uh, it's too complex a program to just have someone essentially learning on the job um, to be able to crack the code. Whereas like if it's an internal hire, it's, it's, it's at least someone who is familiar with the program, understands how Kelly used to do things, and you can kind of pass the torch a bit. Um, so again, I think that's something that you generally can't settle on. Um, 
one benefit now is that the the Adian president, um, it's it's been very stable from that standpoint for a while. They were really patient with Kelly after a four and eight campaign. Um, so I think that if you're if you're a uh, a top head coach head coaching candidate, I think all of these things are are very attractive. You got the stability; the program's been doing really well. We already mentioned the drawbacks. There's the strict uh, standard on admissions, sometimes slow investment and in resources. However, I don't know. Maybe that changes. We. A lesson like this where you lose one of the top coaches in the game uh, and for many reasons, potentially because of these slow responses to investing in these resources, maybe that's a tough lesson that the that the administration had to learn and maybe they'll be a little bit more aggressive uh, moving forward. Now, for the next point, um, does it like in terms of NFL or NCAA experience, does it matter? Um, I think you certainly want NCAA experience. You don't want someone who's just a, a full like a, a lifelong uh, NFL guy. Um, the risk there is that there's just, uh, you're dealing with different, a different age, a different level of maturity. You have to recruit, um, in the NFL, everyone there is a professional. Uh, there's just like a different standard that the players generally tend to hold themselves to. Uh, the NCAA is a little bit different. Um, so I think certainly someone with NFL experience could be good, but we want them to also have NCAA experience. And then the last point here, um, I think you just, you just need to be a top recruiter, um, that's really the lifeblood of successful programs. We've talked about that on this podcast. It's been Andy's biggest hurdle over time. Kelly really optimized the talent that he got, um, found a lot of diamonds in the rough. But the one thing that really prevented him from truly winning a national title was being able to recruit at a level of, of LSU, at a level of, uh, of Bama, a level of, of Clemson. So who, whoever it is, we got to make sure that this person uh, has a really uh, strong emphasis on recruiting. And because I, I do think... You get someone like that who's an ace recruiter. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's someone. Maybe it's someone like Marcus Freeman, someone who can take us to the next level. There, um, I think that that is is really the next step to take. And we were. I, I actually do think that we were starting to get there under Kelly. Um, if you if you talked to me earlier today, I actually had some optimism that in the next couple of years we would be stringing together top five, maybe even maybe even a top three class at some point in the next few years. And so then let's dive into the names of, of who the potential coaches are. In, in the last couple hours, Mike and I have been texting each other as rapidly as we can to, to come up with who should be on Jack Swarbrick's coaching list. And, and there's tons of lists out there, and, and, and there's a few obvious names and a few not-so-obvious names. We came up with a list. I think we texted out 14 or 15 ideas, so a number of, of coaching candidates. And we've tried to put them into buckets. The, the, the first bucket is you know kind of tier one first guys to get a call tier two um maybe you even actually prefer these guys in the tier two bucket but might be hard to lure away from their current coaching gigs and then and then a group of names we we think are on the outside looking in and and unlikely for a variety of reasons so we're going to tick through these we'll just bounce back and forth each cover name and, and and go through the list the first one that is the top of pretty much every single article right now about this is luke fickle the head football coach at Cincinnati. Notre Dame has hired from Cincinnati before very successfully. Brian Kelly, all-time winning his coach in, in program's history. And Luke Fickle has put together a college football playoff caliber team. He beat Notre Dame this year. He's had 43 wins in his last four seasons. He's Roman Catholic. He's got Midwest ties. He went to Ohio State. He's previously turned down gigs in the Southeast and West Coast. So seems like a perfect match here with the Catholic Midwest coach. The one question is probably around, is he an elite recruiter? Is he going to be any different on the recruiting trail than Brian Kelly? He's got the number 30 class last year. It's tough to measure 
what the potential is for a group of five school, right? How good should Cincinnati's recruiting be? Um, their incoming class is number 12, which for a group of five school, again, with all the success they've had, it should be up there. But number 12 for a group of five school is really, really impressive. So relatively limited sample size. It's a bit of an unknown for a group of five coach of, of how great of a recruiter they can truly be. But certainly we've seen how good Freeman can be. And Freeman was on the staff at at Cincinnati with Luke Fickle. He learned recruiting from Luke Fickle. So I think that yeah. points in a very, very good direction for, for Fickle's recruiting ability. But that's maybe the one red flag or yellow flag, if you will. Yeah, I think in terms of uh, in terms of retention for coaches, the one guy that we could hire that would make it give us a better chance of being able to retain Freeman would would be Fickle. Uh, Fickle and Freeman were very close where they are on staff, staff at Cincy, both Ohio guys. Um, so that would be that. I think that would be one benefit. It's not a given. It's also possible that Freeman could see the Cincinnati job open up and they offer it to him and he leaves. Um, but I do think I, I think Fickle one of the first moves that he would make if he joined, would be calling up Freeman and trying to get him to stay. And again, I think he would have probably about as good a, good a pitch as anyone. Um, another factor with Fickle, he spent a lot of time at Ohio State, so that's another top program. Um, as Brett mentioned, he he, he brought up Freeman. So he's, he's been around a lot of, of, of very good recruiters. There is there is some unknowns, certainly, though, when you're coming from the G5. It did work well for us last time, though, last time that we uh, we hired a top coach from the, from the G5. So, um, so we'll have to see here. But anyways, talking about uh, Freeman, um, he's, he's actually the next uh, person that is on our list, our current defensive coordinator. Uh, as Notre Dame fans know, he's a big-time recruiter, has really driven an uptick in the caliber of players that we've gotten, on the, particularly on the defensive side of ball. The players love him. He represents the program well. Everyone in the administration seems to be very high on him. Um, however, the biggest thing is inexperience. He's only 35 years old. Um, in the past, certainly around the time that Kelly was hired, this is someone that we, I don't think Swarbrick would, would even consider. Um, his mindset was the program is in a state where we need uh, an experienced guy who can rebuild, come in, uh, build up this program brick by brick and make it healthy. Um, and you can't have someone who's never been a head coach doing that. However, uh, we've had five straight 10-win seasons. The program is about as healthy as it's been since the Lou Holtz era, um, whether it's the level of talent, whether it's the level of stability that we mentioned. Um, so that does open up the possibility for a rising star internal hire, and, and Freeman certainly fits that. Um, Freeman, has he's passed every single test that he's had as a coach with flying, with flying colors. It took him a little time to get the defense sorted out, this uh, season, as the players uh, adopted ad- adopted the new scheme and, and style, but once once they took it on, they were they were, the defense has improved dramatically, even with Kyle Hamilton out. And then, as we mentioned, the recruiting has been phenomenal. So he is the type of guy who could carry through the culture that we've built up, um, stop the bleeding, help retain uh, some of the recruits that we might lose. And again, this guy's seen as a rising star. If we don't if we don't retain him, someone else is going to grab him up. Um, it is risky. Again, he's not a head coach, but I think in terms of like internal hires um, with a rising profile, he has pretty much everything that you would want, short of just uh, just short of more experience. For sure, he he is the highest risk, highest reward, highest ceiling candidate. We'll we'll talk about um, next on our list is Tom Reese, the other side of the football, a young offensive coordinator, twenty nine years old. I think this is a stretch. His his name has been thrown around as like future succession plan for Notre Dame. The quarterback in Notre Dame becomes the offensive coordinator, becomes the head coach. Maybe I think this is too young for Tommy. He he was in our class. Um, we're we're barely mature enough to to do this podcast, let alone be m- mature enough to um, you know run a, a program <laughs> like Notre Dame. And and trust me, I was in classes with 
Tom Reese at, at Notre Dame, one, one class to be specific, and um, not trying to knock the guy. I, I think he's been really great for the program. I just think it's it's too early for Tom. And if you compare the two, Marcus Freeman has put together a top 10, top 15 defensive unit in substantially every metric. Tom Reese has not done that on the offensive side of the ball, right? He is not Lincoln Riley. He is not, um, you know, the offensive savant um, yet. He'll get there. He's a young coach, but he hasn't done that yet. And I think that would be a big stretch to now let him continue to run the offense and try to get to a top 10 offensive level while trying to then manage this entire very complicated high stress um, target on your back job. He's not ready yet. Agreed. Um, next candidate uh, that we've talked about before is Matt Campbell. Um, and he's someone who's had success at Iowa State, not the easiest program to win at. Linked to a bunch of jobs last year. Um, Iowa State had a ton of hype going into this year. People thought that they could actually be a college football playoff contender. Um, however, they fell to 7-5 this year. So his stock is definitely not as high as it was last year. Um, I think Brett and I are both uh, a bit lukewarm on him. He seems like a good coach, definitely a great person. Um, but I think he's definitely he's not that coach that would generate a splash right now. I think if we get him, it's 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 still a bit of a question mark. It's you know I think for me I'm like okay like I don't think the program will immediately implode, but I could see us easily falling into eight win nine win mediocrity, which which is not horrible. Nebraska fans would take that, but relative to where we've been, I think we got to try to strive a little bit better. Um, I do think Campbell has expressed interest in the Notre Dame job in the past. So if we want him, I think we, we probably would be able to get him. But uh, that's not really the question we're asking here. We're asking him if, if, if Notre Dame should actually try to go get him. Yeah, I think if Fickle said no because he wants to focus on this Cincinnati season and Swarbrick feels the pressure to make a hire in the next week, which I think is really, really important. It's important for the season. It's important for recruiting. It's important for continuity. So if Fickle says no because he wants to focus on trying to win a championship at Cincy, and you conclude Freeman and Reese are too young. We'll get to some other names that I really like, but I don't know how realistic they are. Matt Campbell's realistic. If we offer Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell's accepting this job. And by all accounts, he has been a great cultural fit at Iowa State of just doing things the right way. And Notre Dame cares about that stuff. And so from that perspective, you know, Campbell, his biggest knock is he's not been a great recruiter at Iowa State. He's been more of a player development guy, more of a program guy. Um, and, and there's exceptions to that, of, of, of course. But I don't know if he gets there on recruiting. But if Matt Campbell can win seven, eight, nine games a year and, and contend for Big 12 championships at Iowa State at really one of the hardest places to consistently win in, in Power 5 conferences – I would imagine with the resources he does really well at Notre Dame, to your point, that might be nine, 10 games a year. I don't think Matt Campbell strikes me, at least right now, as a surefire bet to really put us above where we were with Brian Kelly. And I think that should be the standard. Um, I turning to some other, yep. Yeah, I was going to say, Brent, I think he, we're in a healthier place than we were when Brian Kelly started, but I would say I would, for me, I would almost expect it to be, just kind of like those those Brian Kelly teams, you know, 2010, 2011, just kind of those those like forgettable years where we're a solid team, but we don't really have the firepower to really break through. Um, but you never know. I mean, guys come in and can surprise. Exactly. A um, couple other names. So that was our top tier list. Freeman, Reese, Campbell, Luke Fickle. We, we think those are four guys that are getting the first calls or the first evaluations by Jack Swarbrick. 
other potential candidates that are at the top of our list, guys we would be really excited about. Um, first one, Cliff Kingsbury, head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. He's leading the Cardinals right now to the best record in the NFL this year. He's 42 years old, so young, up-and-coming coach still. Um, but with that head coaching experience in a way that Marcus Freeman doesn't have yet, seven years as junior. Before that, he was a head coach at Texas Tech. He successfully ran the air raid offense there. Um, Texas Tech's a hard place to win, but but did pretty well and, and now moved on, on to the NFL. And maybe just as importantly before that, um, which is crazy he's done all of this by, by the age of 42, but he was the offensive coordinator at the University of Houston uh, when he was the quarterback's coach as well for Case Keenum when Keenum set NCAA passing records. Then he followed Houston's coach, Kevin Sumlin, over to Texas A&M where he was the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach for Johnny Manziel when Manziel won a Heisman Trophy. So Kingsbury is legit. He's an incredible offensive mind. If you paired him with a guy like Marcus Freeman, I mean, what a one-two punch for a coaching staff. I don't know if you get Kingsbury to leave the NFL. I think you'd have to pay him a massive amount of money. Um, and it's unclear if Notre Dame's willing to, you know, really be the highest bidder in, in these processes. There's a big question if we really just got outbid for Kelly. Um, and, and I think that's a real consideration. But if Kingsbury would be interested, if Swarbrick and Notre Dame would be interested in, in paying the right amount of money, I get really excited about that potential. Yeah, I mean that would be exciting. I do think if when you if you have a top team in the NFL, <laughs> you'd be pretty crazy to take any college coaching job. Um, it's just it's a very it's it, it's not very often that you get the opportunity to coach uh, just one of the top football teams anywhere, um, especially one as exciting as the Arizona Cardinals. Um, but yeah, Kingsbury, I think he would be if we were able to get him. I think he'd be kind of another version of Lincoln Riley, but one that's proven himself at the top levels at this point. Um, he didn't have the best track record in college football. He was good. Again, Texas Tech is a tough place to win at. However, when he actually went to uh, to Arizona, uh, it was almost a mutual parting of ways between he and Texas Tech. Then, of course, he got the he got the Arizona Cardinals job, so it worked out for him pretty well. But he hasn't actually proven at the college level that he that he can win at a super high level. Um, but someone like him, with with all the college experience that he has and now success in the NFL. He certainly would make a splash. You know, this guy would juice our offense. He would juice the recruiting. And I think the key with him, the problem with him at the college level was he never had any great defensive coordinators or coaches or personnel. Like Brett, like you said, if you can, if you can partner him with someone like Marcus Freeman, I think that could uh, potentially solve the problem. Uh, the next coach we talked about, another NFL guy, Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. He checks a lot of the boxes. Previously coached at Baylor and Temple. A lot of success at the college level. Um, he's had success in the NFL. Um, if he's interested, this would obviously be a massive hire for ND. I think this might be something we'll need to look up. I do think Matt Rule has expressed some interest in Notre Dame in the past. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's been recent, and certainly I think any sort of NFL job would uh, would take priority over that. But um, again, this one would be super unlikely. But if we could get it, uh, this would certainly be a very splashy hire. For sure, and and the other that we put in this sort of second tier of splashy hires, we really like but don't know if they're possible. Brent Venables, he is the longtime defensive coordinator for Dabo Swinney at, at Clemson. And so if you think about what Clemson's done in the last decade, Brent Venables to Dabo Swinney is sort of like Kirby Smart to Nick Saban, right? So big-time defensive coordinator at the college level, big-time recruiter, big-time success story in big games where Brian Kelly struggled. Brent Venables has been winning those as, as a defensive coordinator now at Clemson for a long time. However, He's currently being rumored for the Oklahoma job. 
Uh, Venables back in the day was an assistant for Bob Stoops, uh, former Oklahoma head coach who's actually stepping in as the interim coach for, for Oklahoma. So don't know Venables is available, but if he is, that would be a big time hire. So again, this second tier of guys, um, big splashy hires. We think they'd be great for the program. We think they might even be in this sort of upgrade relative to Brian Kelly, uh, category. Just don't know how possible they are. Some other names floating out there that we think are on the outside looking in. We'll we'll tick through these quickly. Urban Meyer, he's being announced um, everywhere. I think Notre Dame would be selling its soul a little bit. Whatever this guy's actually done at other programs off the field at Florida, at Ohio State. Um, there's an off the field issue this year when, when he was head coach of, of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, likely not a cultural fit. That being said, he was an assistant at Notre Dame back in the 90s. Um, he does have Catholic ties, um, so it's it's possible he's being linked to this. However, I really, really would be surprised if if he was on the short list for Father Jenkins and Jack Swarbrick to to pick up the phone call. Yeah, I agree with that, Brett. I will say with Urban Meyer, um, <laughs> he has described this is well documented. He's described Notre Dame as his dream job before, and we would be selling our we definitely would be selling our soul. There's so much baggage that comes with them. Um, but the thing is, if you hire him, you pretty much know your team's going to be good. You'll get some good years out of him. Your recruiting will be top notch. So it, if this somehow did happen, it wouldn't be the first time that going into a coaching search, a program has probably thought, okay, do we really want to get Urban Meyer? This guy has all these things that have happened. And then they, they, they find out he's interested and they talk themselves into it. So I don't it's, think that's going to happen. It's interesting too. He said that Notre Dame was his dream job back in 2004. When he was the yeah. coach at Utah, the Notre Dame job was open. We hired Charlie Weiss. Urban Meyer, of course, goes to Florida, wins two titles there and another at Ohio State. And so what I think is interesting there is that was 17 years ago, but it comes up every time, right? It comes up right. every time. Oh, Urban Meyer, Catholic, former Notre Dame assistant. He should go to Notre Dame. What's transgressed since then with his tenure at Florida and the off-the-field issues they had there and Ohio State – and the off-the-field issues they've had there. It has been 17 years since I think we could credibly say the Utah Utes football coach Urban Meyer winning a Fiesta Bowl in 2004 was legitimately linked to the Notre Dame job. And, and I think what we've seen in the 17 years since is probably not a good match. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it is interesting because the reason he picked Florida over Notre Dame was because, I mean— Similar to probably reasons that Brian Kelly is picking LSU right now. He just saw an easier path to win. However, it is interesting that now this is probably is as health is as strong and as healthy as the Notre Dame program has been in a long time. Um, so, but yeah, I mean things haven't gone well for him in Jacksonville. I imagine he probably doesn't want to give up on that job uh, so so easily anyway. But um, stranger things have happened. Um, now. Uh, some other guys, again, a theme with, with some of these is, uh, is NFL coaches. Um, and a lot of these guys are, like we said, on the outside looking in it for various reasons that, um, they're either not good fits or they're just even more of pipe dreams. Matt LaFleur, and this is another pipe dream. Packers head coach, young guy. He was actually Notre Dame's quarterback coach in 2014 with Kelly. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, this seems even more unlikely compared to Rule or, or Kingsbury, given that he's, he's been around the NFL more in his career. Um, has certainly had more sustained success and just generally seems more interested in, uh, in coaching in the NFL. Uh, Tony Dungy is another one. Um, he was, uh, he was in the broadcast booth for us last year. Um, 
very well respected coach, but he hasn't really, he hasn't coached in a while, um, and he's he's generally been in the NFL um, for most of his experience. So uh, this one doesn't really seem like a fit either. John Gruden kind of just throwing this in as, as, as a joke, but uh, yeah, definitely not on the list for an institution like ND, especially given his his big scandal of racist texts and emails. So he is from South Bend. So if the scandals hadn't happened, his name might be popping up in these. Um, but certainly right now, uh, he's he's essentially uh, off limits, and, and no program should be touching him right now. Yeah, and then I think there's a bunch of other names in, in college football coaching circles right now that are getting talked about for other jobs. Bill O'Brien, former Penn State coach, then he went to the Houston Texans and struggled in the NFL. Now he's the offensive coordinator at Alabama and, and has done really well there. And former Nick Saban offensive coordinators, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, that they keep getting jobs, right? So they keep getting Power 5 head coaching jobs. Um you know, Bill O'Brien is basically only coached under Saban and, and Bill Belichick um, in, in his last 15, 20 years. I don't think that's a good fit given, you know, he, he didn't get the job done at Penn State. This would feel like a downgrade relative to Kelly, um, not an upgrade. So one I don't get excited about. P.J. Fleck has been mentioned, the head coach of Minnesota. Kind of inconsistent. I think they got to 7-8 wins now this year. They were 500 last year. They got 8-9 wins the year before. So a bit all over the place. Minnesota's a really hard place to win. Um, however, I think the knock on P.J. Fleck, similar to some of the other coaches we've mentioned, there's some off-the-field stuff there. He's got some personal dynamics where there was an affair with his first wife. And I'm not here to judge someone's you know off-the-field personal life, but I do know that factors into criteria at Notre Dame. I tend to think that keeps P.J. Fleck on, on the outside looking in for this job. Um, but, but certainly an, an up-and-coming coach that's been linked to it. And then a bunch of other names. I'll, I'll just read through them. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. Pat Narduzzi at Pittsburgh. Jeff Brom at Purdue. Bob Stoops, former Oklahoma coach, now stepping in as the interim Oklahoma coach. His brother, Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. All of these names feel like you'd be settling. All of those names feel like they would either be, um, you know, kind of the has-beens at um, other programs like Bob Stoops or downgrades to what we just had at, um, you know, in Brian Kelly's tenure. If we wound up with one of those guys, I could talk myself into being a really huge fan of why it was a really great hire. But I think each one of those guys hasn't had sustained success at a Power 5 program, other than maybe Bob Stoops, who's who's now, you know, retired and, and, and would be coming back to the gig. So I think you can squint and make the case, but generally wouldn't feel great about that list of names. I agree. Those guys just don't move the needle. Um, they all have various flaws, whether it's inconsistency, um, perhaps not not a track record of recruiting at a particularly high level. Um, it's just a hire that if we make, I don't think it's going to get our, our recruits very excited. And sometimes these guys work out. Um, it's, these coaching hires are, are, are very tricky, as we mentioned, to, to predict what will happen. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, if we're getting Pat, <coughs> we're getting Pat Narduzzi, who actually I think hates Notre Dame. Um, I'm, I'm probably <laughs> asking myself, what the hell are we doing? Um, I, but no, I, yeah. I, I agree. I was, I was just going to turn to our predictions then. Wh- where do we think this actually goes? I think this goes to Luke Fickle. I think that would be a really solid outcome. Um, I don't know if it's a home run, but that's a really solid hire. Um, my second choice would be Freeman, which I think makes me nervous, but I said this earlier. I think he's the best recruiter of the guys we're talking about. 
I think he came in and did a great job with our defense in year one, an injury-ravaged defense on top of that. But I think this is the highest ceiling, highest risk, so that risk-reward higher um, that gets me really excited. Um, so my, my prediction is Fickle 1A, Freeman 1B. I think what I'd really like to see if we could get it is a guy like Matt Rule or, or, or Cliff Kingsbury. I think one of those two guys coming out of the NFL with um, a Rolodex of assistance to pick from and a proven winner at the college stage, I think that would be a massive upgrade from Kelly, a chance to really change the trajectory of the program and make that big step. I just don't think we're going to get it, and I think we're going to be getting Luke Fickle, and, and that makes me really, really excited, but maybe not the you know 10 out of 10 higher. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, I think I think realistically, Fickle's probably most likely to be the guy. Um, again, he's someone who's proven himself uh, at many at many different stops. Um, he's taken Cincinnati to heights that they've never experienced before. He's recruiting at a level that they've never recruited at at Cincinnati. Um, but like you said, Brad, I think you made a good point on the Rolodex of assistants. I don't think yeah, Luke Fickle just hasn't been a head coach long enough. He hasn't been an established head coach uh, in some of the highest positions in college football yet. So he doesn't really have uh, these guys that he can just... He has a few. Certainly he could maybe keep Freeman around, maybe keep Mickens, although I don't know if uh, you would consider Mickens a, a top assistant at this point. He's done a good job at Notre Dame, but um, I don't know that he would be the uh, you know the top card that people are pulling out of the Rolodex. So um, yeah, I mean, I think could he could he continue the success? Um, do a good coaching job, yes. But uh, a huge component of building a good college football program is is just reloading with top assistants. And I think we'll I think we would probably take a hit uh, in terms of the quality of assistance that we have, at least in the short term, if Fickle takes over. And that was something that was true when when Kelly first took over as well. Again, Kelly came from a G five. Um, he didn't exactly have a rolodex of top assistants. Um, and it was really, it's really only been in the last couple of years that I felt that we have had a uh, coaching talent, um, as a competitive advantage, um, really with like Freeman and, uh, before that Lee, um, that's something that's been more of a recent development. And so I think we would take a step back there. Um, then after that, I think you mentioned, I think Freeman, I, I do think Freeman would probably be the way to go after that. Um, I, it's really risky. It is really risky. He doesn't, he's never been a head coach. So there could be just a lot of issues that pop up that we couldn't be anticipating. But I think the big thing is, is he stops the bleeding for the recruiting class. The players love him. He's represented himself really well. He's passed every test that he's had so far with flying colors. Um, and I think he has that, he gives us some of that stability. Again, I think with, with him, you're going to, you're going to get some, uh, you're going to get some of that, uh, some of that, uh, some, some steps back in terms of, uh, in terms of the coaching talent, it'd be likely that we would have, if he gets it, I'm sure other assistants will leave. I'm sure it'd be unlikely that Elston sticks around. I feel like he's gone. He's probably, he might be gone anyway. Um, but I feel like a lot of those guys are probably gone and we're starting from scratch a little bit. So that makes it a little more risky. Um, you know, outside of that, I'm kind of sticking with, for my predictions, I'm kind of sticking more in like kind of the realistic range. Brett, like you said, if we can get someone like Matt Rule, Kingsbury, I mean, obviously you do that, but, um, to your point earlier, we uh, if if we didn't pony up for Kelly, are we really going to be able to pony up enough money for these guys to to come over? Probably not. For sure. Closing out with just some other thoughts of of notes we've we've been writing down as as the night's gone along. Um, one, I've I've always been a big fan of Brian Kelly. I've I've had some close friends in my life basically say, "Can Brian Kelly do anything that would ever make you upset with him?" And 
And of course, I was on the fence of whether or not we should keep him after the four and eight debacle and, and felt like I've been through thick and thin trying to defend him. And now he leaves, right? And that, that's kind of an emotional gut punch. But um, there was a copy of the text he sent to the team tonight, the, the, the Notre Dame team, that I thought was worth reading. His PR guy might have written it. It might be total BS. I get it. And if you don't like Brian Kelly, you're probably going to think this is all a show. If you do like Brian Kelly, you're probably going to say, wow, what an upstanding guy. Um, and, and that's fine wherever you fall on that. But I tend to think Kelly's gotten a bad rap with the media. I think he's gotten a bad rap with certain interviews. But by and large, what he and Packy Kelly have done in the South Bend community for breast cancer research and, and a number of other great causes has been incredible. I think by and large, the alumni that have coached for him have been big Brian Kelly supporters. And that means something to me. And I thought this was, um, again, whether it's genuine or not, I don't know. But a really nice message when I read it. And so I, I just thought we'd read it here. Men, let me first apologize for the late night text. And more importantly, for not being able to share the news with you in person that I will be leaving Notre Dame. I'm flying back to South Bend tonight to be able to meet with you in the morning. But the news broke late today. And I'm sorry you found out through social media or other news reports. I'll have more to share when we meet tomorrow at 7 a.m., but for now, just know that my love for you is limitless, and I am so proud of all that you have accomplished. Our program is elite because of your hard work and your commitment, and I know that will continue. I'll share more in the morning. Again, my sincere apologies for not being able to be the one to share this news with you directly, Coach Kelly. Yeah, I mean, I think you said I think you said all the right things there, and yeah, I mean, I'm with you, Brett. I don't think I, Kelly has never struck me as I don't know, just an imposter, as many people see him. I've always, to me, he's always seemed relatively genuine. Um, again, he keeps his cards close to his vest. It's hard to get a great read on what his actual personality is, but it seems like he's always done the right things. He's always had his players' backs, um, and I don't think that's any different here. I think he just, again, I. Once I saw the, the the dollar value of the deal that LSU is potentially giving him, I, it made me feel better. I was like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, we're not going to give him that. So, and I can't blame him for taking a godfather offer. I mean, they, they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. He was stupid not to take that. That's a, We talk about uh, Kyle Hamilton. We talk about some of ND's top, top players um, potentially making decisions with the draft and how um, potentially going early or not risking um, playing, in, playing in one bowl game uh, you know, it might not make sense to do that if you risk if you risk your livelihood in the NFL um, and a chance to make a life changing amount of money. Kelly's made a lot of money in his career, um, but this is I think this is even like another level up. This is this is the extent of this amount of money is uh, is generational. It's it's one to where I mean generations in his family are not going to have to worry about about money. So I can't blame him for that. Uh, again, we mentioned that he will be making the only person who will be making more of him in the coaching profession will be Belichick. Which is which is crazy to me. LSU put it, it's it is stupid money, and unfortunately, we were on the receiving end of it. Um, so uh, I can't, I really can't fault him too much. It's really frustrating. Obviously, uh, we're in a chaotic situation. Um, you know, if we knock a coaching hire out of the park, I think we could be fine. But as we talked about before, these coaching hires uh, are very uncertain. They often don't work out. If the program is in a healthy place, they tend to work out. They tend to work, <coughs> your odds of success are much higher. So that is uh, that is like one thing that's going uh, going for us that, that we should point out is that we've been winning a lot of games. We have a lot of talented guys on the roster. There's been a lot of stability. So in terms of making a successful coaching hire, that's as good a situation as you could ask for. And I think it makes our odds of moving on from this situation successfully um, better than maybe people are, are initially thinking. Yeah, 
Go back to episode seven if, if you're listening to the show. If, if you go back to our seventh episode, we had a segment on alternate scenarios. If Notre Dame had fired Brian Kelly in 2016, who else we might have hired? And, and we looked at all Power Five coaching hires from 2014 to 2017. We didn't look at anything more recent because it was hard to deem if you know hire two years ago has been successful yet or not. But we said success is getting to a New Year's Six Bowl or having multiple 10-win seasons. And only 14, sorry, only 22% of those coaching hires were successful from that time period. Limited sample size. There were about 30 hires in, in that range. Only 22% of the time were they successful. It was 30% of the time if the program was on a good trajectory like Notre Dame is right now. Notre Dame's clearly on a good trajectory. And so that definitely makes your odds better. But the big step back there is coaching hires are tough. Like this is bad news for Notre Dame because any coaching change is bad news any coaching change is just tough to get right and so first and foremost this is bad news for the program it adds uncertainty to what was otherwise a very stable consistent program the other thing though that i'd say is it might have been time to move on from brian kelly and maybe this is the best way that that brian kelly goes out and by that i mean kelly has now been here for 12 years without a national championship and since 2000 no one has been at a program that long and won their first title. Um, not going to tick through all of these, but the vast majority of coaches have won in their first, second, third, or fourth years. That includes Coach O, Urban Meyer twice, Jimbo Fisher, Gene Chizik, Nick Saban twice, Les Miles, Pete Carroll, Jim Tressel, Larry Coker, and Bob Stoops all won within their first four seasons. The exceptions to that, Dabo won his first eight years in at Clemson, although he was sort of a succession hire of Tommy Bowden. And then Mac Brown won his title at Texas in, in his eighth year. So really with rare exceptions in the last two decades, have you seen sort of this career coach finally get over the hump at, at, at his current employer? And so Brian Kelly, statistically speaking, wasn't going to get there if he didn't get there in the first 12 years. And this feels like as good of time as any for Notre Dame to, to move on and, and find that next coach to, to get over that hump. But suffice to say, tonight, it sucks, it's emotional, it's frustrating. We, we get all sides of, of this equation and a, a lot of uncertainty ahead for the Notre Dame program here in the next week. Yeah, and maybe we don't hemorrhage as, much, as many players as, uh, as we're thinking might be possible through the transfer portal because of that. Um, I think the players currently on the team... They know they know what they have coming back. They know that this was a team that was poised to make some college football playoff runs in the next couple of years, and um, it's not a situation where where the house is on fire and everyone's just trying to get out, um, and they don't have a chance of uh, having a productive college football career. This is one where you get a, you get the right guy in, um, and this is a team that could make a run in the next couple of years. So I, again, so I think that helps with keeping guys from transferring, um, and I think that again, looping back to the coaching search, I also think that that makes it. Uh, easier to, to lure in a new head coach. So, um, but yeah, like as Brett said, obviously not fun. This is just an element of risk that didn't exist uh, earlier today and it exists now. That's never good. Uh, but the silver lining perhaps is for the for those fans who always wanted Brian Kelly gone and thought we could upgrade. Well, you're you're going to get your wish now. And 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 hey, maybe you're right. Maybe we'll get someone in who can uh, put this this program into into overcharge. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show this week. We are way over time now, running at about an hour, 20 minutes, but thanks for staying with us. We will be back. We will continue to do our best to have shows as uh, more news unfolds on, on who Brian Kelly might might replace. 
uh, sorry, who might replace Brian Kelly as, as the next Notre Dame football head coach. We'll also continue to monitor recruiting news. And then, most importantly, we really want to come back and celebrate this team. What an absolute awesome regular season. Uh, New Year's Six Bowl or college football playoff awaits. We'll, we'll be tracking all that news, but, but circle back with a season-ending recap here in the next couple of weeks. Guyrish. Guyrish.